All right, we are live. Hello, everyone, and happy Friday. Today is May 8th, and this is episode 12 of our Google Hangouts and podcasts on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volk, founder of the Volk Firm and Nimble This. With me today is John Downey, Doxis guru and consulting network engineer at Cisco Systems. John, glad to have you back with us. Ah, thank you. Just got back from the INTX show. I thought it was an in excess concert. <laughs> They're trying to regroup. <laughs> <laughs> Get back together. Yeah, yeah. so um, so we're going to be talking today about uh, the, the INTX. At, <laughs> now I'm losing it. About it. The, uh, the show you were at. And uh, you'll give us an update on what was going on there. And then we have uh, in the mailbag a bunch of questions that folks have written in. Also, if you're watching live, please submit your questions into uh, the Q&A. Press the Q&A button up at the top of the thing. Submit your question in and we'll also answer that. So, John, uh, what were the highlights from the show last week? What were you guys doing and uh, what was going on in your booth? So, as well, first, happy Ocho de Mayo. <laughs> yeah, you missed you missed the fifth Cinco de Mayo. Uh, I, I I did go out and celebrate that. Oh, so it's in Chicago, but it's it's mainly Irish, so <laughs> it wasn't so much Cinco de Mayo. It was more St. Patty's Day uh, all the time. Um, as many people probably know, the INTX show was previously the cable show, NCTA cable show. They rebranded it. It um, it's kind of combined with the old SCTE uh, emerging technologies. So there's workshops now. There is some technical papers. It's not just broadcasters with their booths. Um, so it was uh, interesting in that the area was shared on the north side of the hall by Microsoft's, their own conference. Uh, so they had a lot of people there, and we had quite a few people there. Um, but it's, it's um, still uh, a lot of booths, not as many people as I would normally see. Um, but the broadcasters are all, it seems like the industry is becoming uh, condensed, uh, meaning one company might own four or five different broadcasters anyway, like Comcast might own quite a few. The stuff that I know that we were showing was interesting is one was the stuff that we worked out with you, you know, the nimble this and the agreements we might have with, uh, with your product, the nimble this and the PNM applications. So we showed the, we called it cable PNM as a service. Um, and it was offering monitoring of, and I can see this more for tier two MSOs. A lot of the tier one MSOs have their own SNMP in-house experts that can write code to do all this stuff. But to use Cisco to maybe monitor your cable plant for cable modem problems, pre-equalization information, the downstream full bandwidth capture of the modem, uh, the CMTS capture of upstream spectrum analysis. And as you and I talked last time about what you saw at Cable Labs Winter Conference, the upstream spectrum analysis in the modem itself, how to correlate the CMTS head end upstream spectrum with the cable modem upstream spectrum to help narrow down where ingress could be coming from. And I have a few captures that I took while I was at the show. Uh, the big thing we were really showing though was DOCSIS 3.1. So it's, uh, it's coming along and we're working with multi-silicon ven vendors. And I had a 96 megahertz wide OFDM carrier. Uh, so it wasn't the full 192 megahertz channel that you might hear quoted quite a bit for Doctors Free One. It was 96 megahertz wide, uh, 1024 qualm, 16 qualm for the physical link control channel, the PLC. Um, 
the PLC is sort of like the control channel itself. So you wanna make it a, a lower modulation scheme, more robust, and put it in a frequency you know is away from uh, LTE, 4G cell phone, 700 to Yeah, so, so the PLC, that, I mean, that is really the, 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 like the heart of yes. the OFDM channels. So if you lose communication with the PLC, if the modem loses that, um, it, it's gonna go completely offline. That's why you're saying it has to be robust. It has to be a place that it's not gonna get hit by ingress from LTE or something. Exactly. So you can move it in the spectrum anywhere you kind of want within that channel. And you might say, well, in Chicago, uh, Fox or NBC is transmitting digital off-air broadcast at this frequency. Well, I don't want to, you know, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I don't want to tempt fate by putting my PLC at the same frequency where off-air ingress could come in. So I might sure. just shift it around a little bit. Um, so that's, that's a couple ideas about uh, the OFDM. And it, it was interesting. We were able to, our cable modem guys also had a reference modem. And they did the speed testing. I wasn't doing speed testing. I was just showing on the spectrum and showing the constellation. I had a Rodian Swartz expensive test equipment to do the DMOD. So I could see the 1024 QAM constellation. And embedded in the constellation, I could see the 16 QAM PLC constellation. Because it was, you know, just, I could see the symbol landings, like kind of embedded in the 1024. Um, but our cable modem guys are doing speed tests and they were getting about 700 to close to 750 or so megabits per second from a 96 megahertz wide OFDM channel. If you equate that to six megahertz, what we call single channel qualms, that's 16 channels of, of, of spectrum. Well, 16 channels of DOCSIS 3.0, you'll get about uh, 580, 586, 588 if they're all primary because there's overhead. So we're getting potentially 25, 30% more uh, efficiency uh, or more speed from that same amount of spectrum. But keep in mind, I'm running 1024 QAM. And I can run the 1024 QAM versus 256 QAM because of the, I always screw this up, the LDCP. LDPC, low density, low density parity LD, check. Parity check, yes. And then the, the more robust FEC and the stuff that we're doing with DOCSIS 3.1. So, um, in a nutshell, more efficient, um, but because the PLC takes up space and overhead, the bigger my OFDM channel, the less that will be a percentage. You understand? Sure. The, yeah. Then so, the more efficient you'll get as the wider the channel yes, gets. Exactly. To, to one. So, so now, I mean, one of the questions is why uh, are you limited to 1024 qualm at this, at this time due to the hardware <laughs> I'm just, or i'm just glad i can do a ping at this point <laughs> <laughs> it was very yeah. very early on in, in the development yes, stage yes. Or, or, you know i think we're probably three to six months ahead of where we thought we would be and, and one of the holdups is going to be the silicon in the in the end devices the cable modems uh, people are saying should i wait for three one well we'll have a downstream three one module for our new cbr8 cmts platform uh, within like three months or so. So newer cards would be shipped with this 3.1 module. If the cards that ship today are 3.0 modules, it's an easy ch change out and a swap out. So that's no big deal. But the, I think the limiting factor would be when can I deploy would be based on when can I get modems. And even if I had a modem that could do downstream, are you going to buy a modem and deploy millions before you have the upstream hardware? Let's forget about software. That's easy. Well, sort of easy. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> once you deploy hardware, you can't just change your mind and say, hey, let's replace, you know, millions of modems. 
So the modems have to have the hardware ready before people are going to buy them and deploy them. And once that happens and we deploy them, I see downstream OFDM becoming a, you know, a play up front, and then the upstream will follow six months later or whatever. You know, right now we're trying to get downstream to be able to bond the 3.1 spectrum with the 3.0 spectrum, get a two gigabit per second pipe to offer one gig service. And if I offer one gig service, I can keep GPON from coming throughout my network. Or if I'm doing GPON and, and HFC, maybe now with the 3.1, I can offer gigabit service ubiquitously. I don't have to cherry pick where I'm putting my GPON. You understand? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So, so in 96 megahertz, you're, you're seeing the efficiency, you're, you're getting there. So it's a really good proof of concept then at the yeah. show. What was the interest in it? What, uh, what were people saying? Um, there were some questions about, do, can I share the spectrum? I said on the downstream, you can't, because remember on the downstream, your channels are always on. On the upstream, it's bursty. Channels are not always on. They only come on when the modem transmits on the upstream. So on the upstream, when we do get the DOCSIS 3.1 on the upstream, we can share the same spectrum. We can time, time share. So the 3.0 can burst, the 3.1 can burst, 3.0 can burst, 3.1 can burst. Um, with the limited upstream spectrum, that's probably going to be a necessity if I need to offer higher upstream speeds greater than, say, 50 to 60 megabits per second on the upstream. If I'm limited to 5 to 42, I probably only have four ATDMA channels. That's 108 megabits per second aggregate. I'd probably offer a 50, 55, 60 megabit per second service. If I need to offer 100 megabit per second service, I either need to do eight channel upstream bonding, which forces me 5 to 65 or 5 to 85, or maybe I can do DOCSIS 3.1. And because 3.1 is almost with the OFDMA, and I can do different modulation and different spectrum and different subcarriers, I could offer up maybe some like SCDMA type of quality, it's OFDMA, below 20 megahertz, where I'm not using any ATDMA because I'm afraid to. Uh, and then maybe I could uh, timeshare the four ATDMA, turn them off, turn on 3.1, and do the 5 to 42. That's 35 megahertz of spectrum. I do maybe 1024 qualm in some of the spectrum, 256 qualm in some of the spectrum, and 16 qualm in the real low impulse noise area. And then maybe I can get 300 megabits per second on the upstream. And and so in that lower frequency band using OFDMA, have you guys considered what type of what type of order modulation you would be using in as far as modulation profiles and stuff like that for the OFDMA below twenty megahertz? Yeah, that one is interesting because in theory every subcarrier could be a different modulation. Every subcarrier, and these subcarriers are what fifty kilohertz apart if you're doing <laughs> the four K. But don't you have a limitation as far as CMTS processing power to the... Of course. That's yeah. why I said in theory. <laughs> That's why I said in theory. Uh, in reality, it would be an organizational, operational nightmare. Uh, and also, how would you quantify the throughput of a, of a channel, quote-unquote channel? Because the channel now on the upstream, I think we're looking at selling a license on the upstream in six megahertz blocks which kind of makes sense. Uh, on the downstream, I think we're looking at 24 megahertz blocks, um, even though, uh, you know, you might have here quoted on the downstream 192 megahertz block, but you could sell it in blocks of 24, and then you can decide how to work that out. 24 works out well because 3 annex A is 24, and 4 annex B is 24, so it kind of works out real nice in that regard. Um, and I think uh, in the downstream, the DOCSIS standard has, what, isn't it the minimum 
uh, channel size is 24 megahertz. Uh, um, yeah, you might, yeah, you might be right on that one. Um, uh, uh, so back to your question about, you know, different modulation, I think on a downstream, it's going to become sort of automated where you can look at per modem MERs on the downstream. So you have to query the modems for their downstream MER and modems with subpar MER, you would push them into one mod profile that was kind of statics, dynamic static. It's almost like an oxymoron. <laughs> You're dynamically setting up or moving the modem to a statically created mod profile that's a robust uh, high speed, uh, mediocre. So you could set up, say, four different mod profiles for different modems and where they are in the plant and where they are in their MER. So you're, like, you're saying like uh, robust might be all the subcarriers are at QPSK. It could be. Long. I mean, it, it could be. You hope you don't have to drop that low. Your plant's really <laughs> bad, right? <laughs> really, yeah. But, but then again, I mean, there is spectrum that is really bad that you might just avoid today, but maybe we can use QPSK. Maybe we can eke out a few bits per second out of a spectrum that we were afraid to use before. Well, yeah, if, if we had a, a 10 or 20 megahertz, band, well, if you do it on 6 megahertz, say we had 12 or yeah. uh, 18 megahertz that we're using from 5 to 20, where normally we have nothing. Even yeah. if it is at QPSK or 16 QAM, that's still a lot of bandwidth that we could be using that's normally just, it's junk, it's noise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could make the case to say, well, if it's really that noisy down there, you know, you and I have been in this business a long time too, especially on the HFC side. If it's really noisy down there, regardless of how Doxus plays, what about your lasers? If you get laser clipping, all bets are off anyway. Yeah, so nice. if it's a baseband digital reverse, maybe not so bad. Once we get to remote phi, if we get to remote phi and put the chipsets in the node itself, then there is no laser clipping anymore because it's a digital laser. Um, you know, you're digital, you're doing analog digital conversion and you're just doing ethernet back to the CMTS. So that's a little different story. And that will get us to go to the higher mod profiles for Doctor 3.1. I could foresee 4096 qualm on the downstream and 1024 qualm on the upstream if we do remote phi, like remote phi plus one or remote phi plus zero, you know, only one or two amplifiers. I think our MER readings would be good enough to support that. Yeah, so yeah, and, and we're all, this is all spec, a lot of speculative stuff at this point, right? Because, you know, the, the hardware is not fully baked out and uh, then software would have to be written. And, and now we're looking at monitoring the MER of every one of these sub carriers and it's, uh, there'll be a lot more processing power too, right? Yep, absolutely. So it's interesting. Right. Anything, uh, anything else from the show last week you want to cover? Yeah, I, I wanted to share, let's see if I can share this. Uh, let's see, share screen or screen share. I wanted to share a, a capture of, of one of the modems I took. Let's go. This was um, the full bandwidth capture of a modem. Can you see this okay? Yes, yes, looks good. So this was zero to one gig. So. What I found interesting is, and, and this would work out well for a technician that goes to a house and the modem doesn't even register. Normally I thought about, this is all SNMP based. So the modem has to be online. It has to have layer three connectivity for me to even grab this information. But what if the modem doesn't come online? Well, you know, a lot of the modems have this built in sort of like a backdoor GUI website, 192.168. Can you see my mouse when I move it? Yes. Okay, Absolutely. so you see the 192.168.100.1, uh, I plugged my PC into the Ethernet port of the modem. They usually will do DHCP on their own. 
And so my PC got a 192 address. And then I went to 182.168.100.1 colon 8080. And it opened up the spectrum analysis view of that modem. So it already has a GUI in there. Now, the things I found out to make this work is I had to download onto my PC Google Chrome because I needed HTML5, I think it was. So my uh, Internet Explorer, my Firefox, it didn't seem to work because it didn't have the right HTML. But when I downloaded the Chrome, I used, I opened up Chrome, I put in that IP address, it opened up the Spectrum Analyzer, I hit run, I changed my span, I hit all my settings, but I'm essentially getting a downstream spectrum analysis view from the modem. And the modem's not online with the CMTS. The Correct. modem's completely offline, which Correct. is really important for everyone that's and, listening. And it, and if, if you're listening this, if you're listening to this on on audio, if you're downloading this on iTunes later on, what John is showing right now is a a spectrum analysis display. Uh, so some, it looks like something you'd see off of a, an an expensive spectrum analyzer, but it's coming from a cable modem, and the start frequency is zero megahertz. And what's that go up to, John? A gig? One gigahertz. One yep. gigahertz. So you're seeing everything that's coming into this subscriber's home, or in this case, maybe everything that's going out of the subscriber's home from yeah. zero to a gigahertz. Yeah. So what's interesting is if the modem's not coming online, you could use this to find out why it's not coming online. It could have been an RF problem. This, this spectrum analysis is independent of the modem's functionality, right? The modem's chipset. Yeah, so this could be really a powerful troubleshooting tool for an in, in installer going into a home that is having problems with the modem. Yeah, and a lot of times I'll have handheld spectrum analyzers as well, but what if they don't or, you know, there might be situations where this comes in handy. I mean, where we think it would be really handy is, you know, remote viewing from the head end. When the if, modems are if online. the modems on, are online, when, yeah, but when yeah. they're not online, it's that's the, the problem where if someone maybe can't afford to have a, a meter or a spectrum analyzer. This is quite nice to have and quite okay. nice to know that you have this capability built into the modem. And what I'm really showing here is the, the big block uh, centered up about 400 megahertz is uh, my 32 single channel qualms. So that's 192 megahertz worth of spectrum. The bigger one to the right is 96 megahertz wide of OFDM. So in theory, if I had a 3-1 modem, I could use the OFDM I could be backwards compatible and just use the 32 qualms, or I could combine both of them and bond traffic across both. And that's what the 3.1 spec, spec is supposed to do. So why, why are your OFDM carriers so much higher than your standard qualm carriers? I knew you would say that. <laughs> <laughs> so I could give you, this, the, I could give you the, um, the answer of, or excuse, that maybe this is a modem that is off the first tap where you have tilted output from an amplifier. Yeah, that would make sense. Correct. But it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I could have gave you that, and I just did. But uh, this is a case where it's all preliminary, and I couldn't figure out how to change the levels that were coming out on my OFDM channel. Well, that also makes sense. It's <laughs> <laughs> more believable. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. And then some people might say, well, what about the, the noise floor coming out off the bottom of the OFDM? I mean, that might have been uh, faulty connectors and cabling and whatnot. So um, at this point, I'm not really even worried about it. Like yeah. people might look at that and say, if that's the real spectrum, if I put carriers right next to it, I'm going to have noise underneath my other carriers. Mm -hmm. Well, this is, let's look at it, 10... 
20, 30, 40. That's 45 dB down. Yeah, it should be way down here, like 60 down, right? Yeah, yeah. We went 60 so, dB rejection. So that, that was zero to one gig. Now, I talked to um, the manufacturer of this modem. It starts with a B. <laughs> and uh, even though it does read zero to one gig, he told me this doesn't really have the upstream spectrum uh, capability, which surprised me because I was able to zoom in from zero to 85 megahertz. And every once in a while, I saw upstream traffic pop up. So it's almost like I don't know if my upstream traffic was bleeding across the diplex filter of the modem hitting the spectrum analysis feature in the modem. You understand? Yeah, I do. Because really, we'd want an upstream spectrum analysis on the low side of the internal diplex filter. And I think this doesn't have it, but actually, I was seeing it kind of bleed across. Right. And we did that demo um, a couple of Hangouts ago where we showed this vendor that begins with a B that has the, uh, in, in, they have it available. I think they have it shipping now in their modems where they do have the full return. So you, you get zero to a gig. Uh, and you can see the the uh, upstream in the cable modem, which that is a very powerful troubleshooting capability. We're discussing in, in the ingenious working groups at Cable Labs on how you can correlate ingress noise that's leaking from a subscriber's home to the same noise that we see on the uh, CMTS upstream. And we're trying to figure out ways that we can trigger on the noise in this in the head end and correlate to that noise that we're seeing at the subscriber home. So I have some thoughts on that as well. And let me go through some more traces. So I also wanted to see what was the granularity of the spectrum analysis feature. So I was able to go as low as six megahertz of spectrum. Now on the upstream, I was able to go from zero to eight on this specific modem. It technically didn't support upstream, but I was still able to kind of zoom in zero to eight. Uh, and I could see a little bit of noise. And the reason why I like to go down to zero is what if there's AM radio noise coming in? Uh, at the modem itself. AM is, you know, what, 0.5 megahertz to 1.7 megahertz. So it'd be nice to be able to see uh, the atomic clock at 2.5 megahertz. Uh, AM radio, there's a uh, ham band at 3.5 megahertz. Uh, so there's some stuff below 5 megahertz that's always nice to see. Uh, even though once it goes up to your first amplifier, the amplifier would usually block it out anyway. Um, but if that AM radio is kind of everywhere, then maybe you can get an idea of how it might be getting into a node, you know, closer to the node. So let me, that was, uh, this is the 32 qualms, zoomed into the 32 single channel qualms. And then this was zooming in even closer so I can see the delineation between the qualms, mm -hmm. uh, the six megahertz haystacks. And then this was the OFDM, uh, 96 megahertz of OFDM. So, yeah. Uh, I think that's a really good illustration for people to see. I think people are afraid sometimes of OFDM. You know, what's it going to look like? And from an RF perspective, it looks very similar to the QAM channels, the, the standard QAM channels that people are uh, accustomed to looking at. So this is a really great illustration that OFDM in the RF world looks just like RF. But here's the kicker. And, you know, it, uh, maybe I was just being naive about it. When you think about the OFDM, we keep talking about 50 kilohertz subcarriers. And in the RF world, we always think, well, I should be able to zoom in and see 50 kilohertz subcarriers, almost like little carriers. But these 50 kilohertz subcarriers, that's where I'm doing the modulation, amplitude and phase modulation. 
they are actually slightly overlapped in a frequency type of uh, display. So right. you're not going to be able to zoom in to individual like 4,000 subcarriers. It's no. going to look like one big channel of noise, like one big qualm. That's one the orthogonal qualm. aspect yeah, of them. Exactly, exactly. So when I explain it to people that, you know, you're not going to be able to zoom in and see a 50 kilohertz carrier here, here, and here, and here. Um, and the spectrum, the frequency uh, domain, they're going to kind of overlap because you have the frequency and phase uh, modulation. And it just looks like one big chunk of noise. Now, when we use the Rodian Swartz test equipment and zoomed in, it could actually pick up the, the pilot carriers. And the pilot carriers were spread throughout the whole channel. And you can see them about 3 to 6 dB higher than the average of the OFDM channel. Right. So it's kind of cool to be able to see the pilots. And I could see the region that was the PLC as well, the, the physical link control. Sure. This was uh, zooming into where I thought o uh, LTE would fall between 700, 690 to 790, 800 megahertz. So I could see the bandage of my OFDM. Uh, and then I was just, I took my cell phone and uh, turned on a YouTube and stuck it right next to a modem and, a, and an unterminated drop and unterminated cable, uh, but tried to get it to pop in and I couldn't seem to get it to pop in. So I was purposely trying to pick up LTE ingress. Um, but I couldn't even see it on my rodent swart either. So maybe this AT&T 4G that I had was actually at 1.7 or because I think or, it's not. Or it's, it's, yeah, I think it's I think it's below 700 megahertz. If it's you said it was AT&T LTE. Yeah. I think yeah. it, if you would have been a little lower in frequency, it, it might have been just below that's 700 megahertz. That's why I wondered if it was even if I was generating, was it hiding underneath my OFDM channel? Yeah, I, I bet it was below your L, your your OFDM. So that was kind of um, um, my full bandwidth capture type of slides from in, in a nutshell. Um, and it, it just gave me an idea of what I could see. So my thoughts on this, and maybe you're working with Cable Labs on this in the ingenious group, is I would look at the CMTS noise. Then I would figure out a modem that has this capability on each leg of the node where I identified where the noise is coming from, but how do you dis de determine that? Now, you could look at modem time offsets. Maybe the modem with the lowest time offset is the closest, but that one's a little touchy. Maybe you do it based on lat long, GPS, maps, billing, and you know where your customers are in the modems. So you identify the modem that has this capability that's closest to the node. So you can identify which leg it's coming in on. Now, if I have ingress coming from the end of line five amps deep, how is it going to get to that modem? It's going to have to overcome the isolation of the tap, go down this high value tap, feed the low side of the modem's diflex filter. Now, maybe it's still high enough that I could see it, but it's going to be dependent on this modem's dynamic range and capability of seeing noise, right? You agree? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If it's if you know when you're looking at it coming from from through a high value tap, that's going to be challenging. What we're more interested in is noise that's being generated within the home, and then it only has to go through a splitter. Uh, so if you assume that the modem is off of a, a splitter, uh, in that case, it just but, has to go so, through. So listen to what I'm saying. My point is, you don't want to haphazardly just grabbing modems all over the place. The best troubleshooting is divide and conquer. You find out which node it is, you find out which leg it is, then you go halfway, 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 
and you narrow it down. If I go on to any which modem, you're just, that's a shotgun effect. You're just looking at every modem that has this capability and say, hey, let's see where it's coming in. You understand what I'm saying? There should be the smarts here to pick a modem that could identify which leg of the node and then go halfway down. It's still there, so it must be further down the line. Halfway down, it's not there. Go back halfway. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's yeah. like the typical troubleshooting, right? Yep. Divide and conquer. That's it. Divide and conquer. <laughs> so, all right. So more, more thoughts on this, right? <laughs> this is the type of stuff that, you know, we can iron out and I'm sure we can figure out how to uh, automate a lot of this stuff, right? Yeah. I, I think what we're waiting for is to get some population of those modems out there. <laughs> right now, we, we don't have much of a population to actually do any testing with. I agree. So, so how about we get to the question stuff? Yeah, okay, so we have uh, questions in our mailbox. Uh, also, if you're listening, uh, you can press the Q&A button and submit a question. Uh, Q&A button is in the upper right-hand corner of, your, uh, of the screen. Um, so first question we have uh, came in from a listener last week on our, on our uh, Hangout on Security. And this is uh, on a network with no DOCSIS 1X modems. Is there any downfall to enabling cable privacy, BPI plus policy, total enforcement? Uh, and, he, and it goes on to say also on a 10K, it appears modems not supporting BPI plus are pushed to asterisk online or asterisk W online status, guessing those have to have no network access. Uh, uh, so they're you know, asking about what that asterisk means. So um, uh, Dan Hagelin, who's on with us last night, or last uh, Hangout, did uh, respond to what that asterisk means. And uh, he says that that, that asterisk symbol next to the online state is uh, it, there's, there's a bug ID, DDTS, uh, and uh, that's CSCTJ59842. That, uh, uh, and it displays modems that fail BPI plus policy. The DTS, DDTS description says when modems fail the BPI plus policy, the modems come online PT, but are blocked from sending layer three traffic using a per device ACL, which is the access control list. Yeah. Um, so there, there's currently no way to see which modems are affected due to a new symbol that was added. Uh, show modems that failed BPI plus policy. So, so the new symbol that was added basically was the asterisk, yes. right? So this DDTS, this bug ID, added and marked modems that were uh, blocking layer three, but they were still reporting online P PT or PK. They were online, um, PT. online PT. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But they're being, but it's still being blocked. Yeah. Okay. So the first part of the question, I, I think what wasn't addressed there was on a network with no DOCSIS 1X modems, so no 1.0 modems, no 1.1 yeah. modems, is there any downfall to enabling cable privacy, BPI plus, to policy, total enforcement? And I, I don't know of any. In, in, yeah, in, I don't either. I as mean, long as you're using BPI plus, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which you should be. <laughs> yeah, which, which is what we recommended in our Hangout last week. Is yeah. We highly, highly recommend that because yeah. it's one of the best ways to improve the security overall of your system. So, the, uh, so definitely use it. 
we don't know of any downfalls and uh it's it's a best practice yeah so um, i mean the only the only downfall i could think of um you don't get something for nothing um when i do capacity planning i look at docs's overhead the docs's header is always six bytes uh on the upstream we have an extended header that could be i think the specs is zero to 255 or something something crazy but when we do bpi plus that extended header usually is five bytes so there's an extra five bytes for bpi plus if you're doing bonding i believe it's another six bytes and then on top of that i just realized it took me a, i haven't really looked into ipv6 too much but ipv6 changes the ip to a huge number right and any overhead that we had at layer three for ip headers has now increased to 20 extra bytes and that affects potentially and, and the reason why i brought it up was i had a customer wanted to do ugs and i optimized my mod profiles my AUGS mod profile burst for a g711 20 millisecond packet cable call as soon as we go ipv6 it adds 20 bytes to every one of those packets so i'm like hmm it's not falling into my effect code word size very well so now i'm i affect t byte overhead and it's causing more overhead because i'm not really optimized the way i maybe could be so i'm looking at my mod profile now to maybe manipulate it just for ipv6 but so the downfall for the bpi plus could be well you have five extra bytes for every single frame but yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of a, I, I get your point. We're turning on BPI plus, we get a little bit of extra overhead, okay. but we're trading that overhead for a lot more security and oh, yeah. maybe keeping users offline that would be hacking into the system and using traffic that they're not paying for, uh, doing other things on the network that we don't want them to be doing. So I, I think it's it's worth giving up that extra overhead for it. Yeah, and, and I just did five bytes divided by 15, 18 is 0.3%. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so it's it's, it's a drop in the bucket, man. Get over it. <laughs> okay, so uh, next question. Um, so we're using eight upstream bonding channels today. Uh, has it a lower data rate for each channel? Uh, so they're, they're trying to calculate what, what they should expect as far as um, what data rate can bit multiplier should they get for eight upstream bonded channels? Do they calculate eight times 30.72 megabits per second? Is that the, so, is that the data rate that they should expect? So that, when you say 30.72, that sounds like upstream. Are they taking my upstream eight channel or downstream eight channel? So well, that, they're saying <laughs> upstream bonding. So they're, they're trying okay. to figure out what's, what's their, their data rate. Okay. So normally uh, 64 qualm, 6.4 megahertz channel width, usable rate is about 27 megabits per second that's with uh 15 18 byte ethernet frames you know all things being uh perfectly matched up whatever the 30.72 is raw rate you know that's 256 qualm is eight bits per symbol uh, oh sorry 64 qualm is six bits per symbol times the symbol rate of 6.4 megahertz which is only 5.12 so 5.12 times six is 30.72 megabits per second that's raw well that's without the off. overhead that we were talking yeah. about and yeah, plus and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Doxis headers. Um, and, and so 27 megabits per second. So if you take eight times 27, that's, I think, 216. Yep. So, so you could get about an aggregate 216 megabits per second, eight channel bonding of 64 qualm, you know, 6.4 megahertz. 
makes Good sense. Enough. Yeah. And then Absolutely. I would only offer maybe a hundred meg service from that. You should never offer a service that could eat the entire pipe and starve everybody else. Oh, you're going to have some unhappy subscribers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stat muxing doesn't work out too well. <laughs> Statistical <laughs> multiplexing doesn't work out well. Yep. All right. Next question is, uh, in, in cable modem, uh, this person wants to know the difference between registration complete and operational state online. So he's doing probably like show cable modem command, and he can see all the modems that are registered and that's different from all the modems that are actually online. Um, so, you know, when modems come online, you have a NIT R1, a NIT R2, a NIT RC. That's the ranging part. It's done. Once you get done with that, then you're moving into actual layer three, DHCP, TFTP, time of day server. Uh, download the CM file, which is TFTP. That's the NIT O, the options. Um, and then the BPI plus and all that. So I, I believe this to you before <laughs> that yeah. online basically means it's an online state PT, maybe online PT, W online, could be partial online, and it's fully registered. Uh, there could be a case where you have uh, online PTD, which is it's done BPI plus, it's online, I can ping it and all that, but the D stands for it's disabled, meaning that network capability is disabled. Right, and, and, config, that was, and that would be done in the config file. Yes, that, yes. Because, you know, network access, zero, which means yeah. no, no access to network because maybe this person didn't pay their bill. Yeah, well, you could have self-installs, right, where a customer goes, gets a modem, does a self-install, goes to a wall garden to actually activate his modem. Right. Well, when you first plug it in, it might download a CM file that's either network disabled or it's – I've seen people do this too, like – 100 kilobit per second max throughput upstream and downstream just so you could get to the wall garden and then upgrade to silver gold whatever pick restart your the modem yeah pick yeah. your package restart the modem it downloads the new cm file and you're ready to go so i maybe that's what there he was getting at with that question he she i don't know who asked the question Okay, makes sense. Yeah. So next question, uh, we have DOCSIS 3, DOCSIS 3 CMTS, and we're using four upstream channels. We sometimes see that one of the haystacks, one of the DOCSIS haystacks, uh, is much higher, is, is at a much higher level than the other three. So they have four upstreams, one of the upstreams is, is a higher level in RF. Can you tell me what would cause this? Only on some nodes are we seeing this. So this is interesting. Um, one, if they're different channel widths, they will be 3 dB different if they're half the channel width, relative half the channel width, meaning a 3.2 megahertz wide channel will be 3 dB higher than a 6.4 megahertz wide channel because we keep same average power. But it sounds like they're all the same channel width. That's what I'm, I'm in, inferring from what he's implying here. So that's <laughs> what we have to assume that, yeah, especially assume, if we're doing... Yeah. Let's assume they're all the same channel width, and he's saying much higher, not 3 dB, right? So he's saying much higher. Yes. So then it comes down to you can change the upstream power level on an upstream channel basis in the CMTS. So let's go back and make sure that's set at the default of zero across the board. Mm -hmm. If it's not, well, there's your problem, right? <laughs> so a lot of times the RF tech doesn't know what the IP tech is doing. He might have went into the CMTS and changed upstream three to be plus five and upstream zero is zero. 
Yeah. So it's actually telling the modem to transmit hotter at the other frequency, the other channel. Let's assume that that's not the case. The next thing I could think of would be, where's your test point pickoff? You know, what if you have uh, upstream three at 38 megahertz center frequency, and because it's in the roll off, sort of the roll off of diplex filter, or maybe it's just roll off in the cable plant or something weird. You're thinking modems, three equalization. Modems would have to transmit hotter to overcome that extra attenuation. And depending on where your test point pickoff is, maybe you're seeing that. At the CMTS, it would be flat because the CMTS tells the modems to transmit high or low. Right. Hit the CMTS flat. But depending on where your test, test point pickoff is, that might look distorted. Like my path track could be picking off uh, right at the optical receiver and head end. But what if I had roll off between that point and the CMTS? The, sure. the path track doesn't see that roll off, but the CMTS does. So the CMTS tells the modems to transmit different levels so that I can hit the CMTS at zero. Well, at the path track, it's not seeing that adjustment. You, you understand? Oh, it's no, the, absolutely. And it's, it's difficult sometimes to get a test point right at the input of the CMTS. Agreed. Agreed. So, so there's, there's like three scenarios there I could think of. Yeah, yeah, it, it's difficult. Um, <laughs> All right, so uh, I have an upstream, this is another question, I have an upstream channel. It's set at 3.2 megahertz bandwidth. Its modulation is QAM32. Uh, I can only seem to get four megabits per second on the upload for, for this modem. The modem shows channel type of mixed TDMA and ATDMA, symbol rate of 2.56 megas symbols per second and 32 qualm modulation. According to everything I've read, I should get 12 megabits per second on the upload. Um, your updated version of the modulation profiles you wrote has these two lines. And there's, there's a couple lines. These come from my blog. Uh, it's yeah. based on our, uh, our, our recommended yeah. modulation profile that you and I did. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think there was a typo in there that's based on the, uh, is it uh, 152 no diff? 152 or 152 no diff 64 and I, I think uh, that was a typo um, but we talked about uh, you know mixed mode would be a mod profile 124 variant of 1xx um, yeah a mi mixed mode allows 1x modems to use some of the bursts and 2o modems and 3o modems to use the advanced long advanced short advanced UGS burst so yeah, I assume I know 1x can't do 32 qualm, so his mixed mode was probably doing 16 qualm maybe for the data burst, short and long data burst for 1x modems, and 32 qualm for the 2o modems. Now, one, I don't like odd constellations. I don't like 32 qualm. The constellation is not a clean type of constellation. It's like taking a 16 qualm constellation and then shifting another 16 qualm up like this. So you have outer symbol landings is almost the same as if it were 64 qualm on those two outer points. Maybe not on these points, but on these points. Uh, so you don't get the 3 dB robustness that theory would usually equate to. So I'm like, just go to 64 qualm, keep it simple. It's a nice even constellation. And if you don't like that, you could drop the 16 qualm. There's a big enough jump there for a to make a difference in robustness. So yeah, I've, actually, I've actually seen issues with some modem vendors using 32 qualm when, I, when I've gone into systems that were set up with 32 qualm. And by either going to 16 qualm 
or 64 qualm, I, I've seen a dramatic improvement with, with those modems across the board. And I don't know if you've seen this or not, depending on, on what modems, but I, I completely agree with you when you say you don't recommend six, or 32 qualm. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's just not widely used and widely tested uh, exactly. across the board. So because people are not using it a lot, it seems to be one of those modulations that is, it's, I don't know it's if flaky. it's just not it's flaky. It's flaky. <laughs> it is absolutely flaky. And so that's, that's the one, you know, one of the things I'll go with clients and say, you're using 32 qualm. I'd, yeah, I'd really recommend, and you're having issues, you're having modems go offline, you're having data transmission issues. I'd really recommend we either go to 16 qualm if your can't plant can't support 64, or we go to 64 qualm, or we do a, a dy dynamic modulation profile that is both 64 and 16 qualm, depending on how the plan is working. Yeah, I'm like, don't we have enough variables to deal with that we don't need to add more? <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. Keep, it, keep it simple, stupid. The KISS principle, let's keep it yeah. simple. Um, I like the fact that I have these nerd knobs and I have these little things I can tweak, but we used to call that uh, for the expert users or the people that really knew what was going on. Let's just keep things simple, and then if we really want to tweak things and we understand it better, then we can do that. Uh, but 32 qualm, I don't recommend. Now, he is correct. I assume it's a he. Uh, 32 qualm is to the five, fifth power, so that's five bits per symbol times a 2.56 megasymbol per second symbol rate would give me about 12 point whatever, um, maybe 13, uh, if you do the math, uh, megabits per second raw. But um, is it raw? Yeah, 12.8 12 megabits per second raw, but yeah. you're probably going to get about 11 megabits per second usable. Exactly, exactly. So, so you get about 11 megabits per second usable. Now, the question or the concern was, I can only get four megabits per second on the upstream. Well, now you're talking about per modem upstream speed. That's totally different from aggregate speed. I suspect that if you hooked up um, eight modems all doing two megabits per second, he would reach the full usable rate and 100% utilization, meaning 11 megabits per second. Yeah. But he's trying to do single modem speed, which is request, grant, request, grant. Uh, there's a lot of little tweaks we need to do to get really above three megabits per second, usually. So uh, with the DOCSIS 3.0 modem, because it does continuous concat concatenation and fragmentation, it might get better per modem speed than, say, a 2.0 modem, assuming it's in MTC mode, which is, it might do single channel, but it's single channel bonding, if you will. It's not really bonding any channels, but it's doing single channel. And it will get better speed than a 2.0 modem in, in, a, in a single cable modem upstream speed test. Yeah, that There's was an interesting, interesting uh, trick that you, you taught me, that even though you're not doing upstream channel bonding, with 3.0 modems, turning on MTC mode actually improves your upstream throughput or your overall yeah. throughput speed. Yeah, the, the modem could pick one of our default single channel bonding groups. That To me, it sounds like an oxymoron. It is. Channel bonding it group. doesn't make any sense at all, but it actually works. <laughs> so what it does is it puts the modem in MTC mode, which allows the 3.0 modem to do CCF. CCF is this continuous concatenation and fragmentation, which allows me to do a request grant much faster. Uh, so single single channel upstream speed tests are much better with a 3.0 modem in 3.0 upstream mode. Yeah. Another thing for, for listeners to, to realize, and this confused me for a while when I first started working with 3.0 modems, is I would do like a show cable modem for a Bose, and I would see the concatenation and fragmentation was disabled in DOCSIS 3.0 modem. So I, you know, I'd quickly go back to the config file and start trying to figure out why concatenation and fragmentation was not enabled in the modems. 
And, and I think it was you that probably told me that that was because of the advanced the way yeah. that uh, DOCSIS 3.0 modems use um, the, con the continuous CCF. Yeah, CCF. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah, when you look at the modems for both, it'll say, like you said, concatenation off or no and fragmentation no. It's like, whoa, is this a 1.0 modem? Yeah. <laughs> Did it download a 1.0 CM file? Uh, and then you find out, no, it's in 3.0 mode and it's doing CCF, so it doesn't need to have that functionality. Now, so in my CM file, people ask me, what should I put in the upstream max concat burst? Well, in theory, if a 3.0 modem is not doing this concatenation, you don't, any changes there won't have an effect on the modem's operation on the upstream. But I tell people, set it to the same you would do for a 2.0 modem, like 8,000 bytes, because what if the 3.0 modem for some reason registers in 2.0 mode? If you don't have a good setting in the max concat burst field, that 3.0 mode, modem could get worse upstream speed than the 2.0 modem. Right. And you always have to expect, I mean, most people are giving the same config files a lot of times exactly. to 3.0 modems that they are to 2.0 modems. So you do want that max burst setting for your 2.0 modems or they're going to get really poor upstream throughputs. Yep, yep. So. We're, we're running low on time, aren't we? Yeah, we are, John. We're out of questions. So it's another hangout that we have uh, got under our belts. All right, cool. All right, thanks for your time. Have a good day. We'll talk to you later. All right, see you guys. Right, See bye. you all.